Welcome to Take a Wonder with Shebs, the show that features some of the biggest travel bloggers, TV and radio personalities and journalists from all around the world. Each show aims to take my guest on a wonder and uncover topics that may not be discussed on their platforms or in the media, whether that's the state of travel blogging and journalism as it is today, or whether there's enough diversity within the industry. Perhaps what impact technology and social media have had on content creation, or in general the impact of current affairs on the industry. I also try and find out the journey behind each individual's success, as this is more important to me than the actual travel. This episode aired on my YouTube channel on the 16th of November 2020 with Plane Ticket Away David. I spoke to David about African travel and his love for photography. All of that and much more. Thank you very much for coming on, David. I really appreciate your time. How have you been? Yeah, really good. Um, you know, obviously lockdown, strange times at the moment for everyone. But um, yeah, it's been okay for me, personally. And then uh, where, whereabouts are you based? So I'm living in Hereford at the moment uh, with my mother-in-law and Mrs. Plane Ticket away as well. So we were living in China until January and then we flew back uh, for a couple of week holiday. And then we got kind of... We were delaying going back. We were due to go back to Shenzhen, um, but we, we we kind of delayed going back, and then they closed the borders on us. So, um, so we've been stuck out of China. We could go back now, but we, we don't want to at the moment. All right. So, your actual uh, permanent residency is in China. Uh, well, we've been teaching out there as TEFL teachers, so teaching English as a foreign language. So, we were teaching uh last year from last march until uh till january this year in just outside shanghai in a university just outside shanghai and then we we changed jobs uh we were going to start a new job down in shenzhen right next to hong kong um but obviously we didn't we haven't actually managed to start we signed the contract and everything we haven't actually done any teaching there yet i know you said you can go back now but is the time definitely still to go back when uh yeah so um we still want to go and live there for a year, really, in Shenzhen and, and have that access to Hong Kong and Macau and Guangzhou. And we've still got lots of places to visit in China we want to visit and, and, and get the cheap flights around around Southeast Asia as well and to Taiwan and to Japan and visit all these places as well. Where, where did travel then begin? Was it, was it partly because of jobs or was it prior to that? Were you always interested in traveling? Oh, I think I've always been interested in it. Um, so I remember getting one Christmas, getting a globe from my parents, uh, and I was pestering my father. Uh, he was trying to get rid of me whilst he tried to uh, deal with one of my brothers or something. And um, she kept naming countries on and, and telling me to go and find it on the globe. So, and I distinctly remember Mongolia being one of them. So I, oh, I thought like, I've always known about Mongolia ever since since then. And then obviously watched things like Michael Palin uh, around the world mm-hmm. in 80 days and the full circle and pole to pole. Definitely those got interested in. So I've always, I think I've always had that interest in traveling and adventure. Did you go away with your parents when you were young or was it more so when you were older? Uh, so the first time we went away was uh, I was 18 months old and we went to Ibiza, but I don't remember any of that trip. Um, so we never went abroad again ever since. So uh, as a child, we never went abroad. Um, uh, I went on a couple of school trips, I think, to France and one to Holland. Um, but um, both of those were by coach. Um, so the third time I flew, I actually flew the plane because I went and did an experience day flying a, a small Cessna plane out over the M3. And 
But then I went on a few little trips when I was at university to Amsterdam. I went twice to Amsterdam on university trips. And um, yeah, so I thought, and then we went to Barcelona as well. Was it was it was there a transformative moment then when you thought, oh, this is I really love doing this. I want to do more and more of exploring the world, finding out about different cultures. Is it what I mean? What, what that question? So, what, where was your transformative moment, and what would you now travel for? Is it culture? Is it uh, surroundings? You know, what, what is it that you travel for now? Well, that's a good question. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, it, it was a little bit, it wasn't really, I wouldn't say it's a small, it was small incremental steps rather than one big change that said, I want to go and travel. But um, when I was at university, I stayed in um, Hosa Residence and there was a guy there who'd done Rally International, uh, volunteering with Rally, Rally International. Um, uh, and he kind of opened up my eyes, actually, there are these opportunities out there that I could go and do. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's what to do and uh, i had a, an internship with b&q in their head office and it was pretty soul destroying working in this um porter cabin in 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 the middle of a car park in their head office uh and it was day in day out and i, I kind of realized i didn't want to do that corporate life any, any, any anymore um so that was definitely a, a moment where i decided i didn't want to do that corporate life i wanted to go and explore the world and and, and, and do something different do something a bit more interesting. So now with, you said obviously teaching abroad uh, English, um, you can go with that quality. Because I actually did the TEFL course myself actually many years ago, about seven years ago. In fact, I was meant to be going to China in early 14. Uh, but what I did the course as a way of, of traveling to different countries and teaching English as a, um, so is your plan, was your, is your plan really to move around after you've done a bit of China and explore more other, other countries and teach other, in other, other countries, I should say? Yeah, so um, from 2009 to 2016, I actually had my own business. I started my own shop. Um, and when I was doing that, I, was, uh, I managed to get away here and there for a couple of weeks at a time. But um, there was, I spent three weeks in the Philippines and I was on in Boracay, I think, and I was looking on my phone at the CCTV on the live footage of uh, the, what was happening in the shop back in back in Cheltenham, where I was living at the time. And uh, I kind of decided that I can't really travel properly how I'd want to travel. So we kind of decided at that point that I'd sell the shop and we'd go and we want to go to Africa, so we 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 did that. Um, and then I think when it was in the Africa, in Africa, my uh, girlfriend Ellie, she she saw uh, an article about someone doing teaching English as a foreign language, and we thought, oh, that'd be perfect. We both got degrees. Um, we just need to go and do the CELTA course. So when we came back, uh, we we saved up a bit of money and did the CELTA course, and then decided to go to China and, and work there for a bit. All right, and you just mentioned Africa there. So uh, just before I go into your CELTA course, so. Uh, how long were you out in Africa for then? Uh, so we did one uh, one trip in August 2017 for about two and a half months. So we went to Rwanda and Tanzania and Zanzibar. Uh, and we went into uh, DR Congo as well for a couple of days just, just on, uh, to climb um, a volcano called Naira Congo. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's got the world's largest lava lake. Um, and it's, pr it's pretty spectacular sight. It's one of the best things we've done on our travel. Uh, 
travel life. And my girlfriend, she's really into gorilla, so we went gorilla trekking in Rwanda as well. Uh, so we were there for two and a half months, and then we came back for about two months, and then we drove from the UK to Benin in West Africa as well. Oh, wow, so you got a bit of a connection to Africa then. Because I, I, Rwanda was a place actually I was planning to go, planning to go to this year. Uh, it was actually back in September, but it didn't quite happen. Um, so I was planning to do Rwanda, Kenya, Rwanda, um, where else? a couple of other places. I had Tanzania was on the list. Yeah, yeah. I also wanted to see the you know the gorillas was high on my list. Actually, when I was looking at it back in January, I know the prices were you know extortionately high, like a thousand. I think it was like a thousand dollars for an hour or something, or fifteen hundred dollars an hour, which is quite expensive. Uh, <laughs> uh, just to see, um, but then I, I thought it'd be 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 worth it. But now I looked at it actually. Um, obviously, you still you can't go into those countries at the moment, but you know, I reckon it will be fairly cheap if, if they didn't open up the borders. It might be. Uh, we found Rwanda, uh, the hotels or accommodation wasn't cheap. They're not really set up for budget travellers at all. Um, it's a gr- it's really easy to get around. Uh, we found an Airbnb was our, probably our best accommodation, but it wasn't, it was not, it's not great value for money, the accommodation wise. Um, they're either really high end, really expensive or even a low end is still really expensive. We stayed yeah. in a couple of brothels. Do, do you think that is because the, the, you don't get as many you don't get really many backpackers down that end, do you? Really, it's um, it's not renowned for for, for budget travelling, is it? Because I, at the time I went to Africa, I, I found it quite expensive. I thought, my goodness, you know, you can't find anything really cheap here, you know. Uh, but there's not many many international tourists that go down that and uh, I was looking at I know the statistic because when I started working with the radio 77 million uh, visitors uh, this is pre-covid of course uh, 77 million a year and then Europe gets something like 780 million a year so I mean you've got the <laughs> that is a huge amount of, I mean the disparity is just ridiculous so uh, obviously there's misconceptions about Africa you know being dangerous this and that uh, but every time obviously you've been you know twice drove back down you know it's um, I think it's amazing Rwanda's incredibly safe we, we found it found it in, in really really safe um, the tra- even even the roads is well organised there's very little bribery in Rwanda um, but it's well organised when someone says they're going to do something they will do it it's um and you haven't got to worry about that at all. And just walking around, they're not because they don't get that many independent tourists there in Rwanda. It, they tend to aim for the high end uh, market, the more expensive high end people who go in for the gorilla, and then maybe a, a week somewhere else in, in uh, one of the game parks they're trying to develop in the east of the country. Would you consider going there after? Because I know you talked about your starter course, which is that that course can take you anywhere. Would you go to Africa maybe after China, or is it? Um um i'm not sure what the project what, what the plan is now obviously covid has set us back a year or so on our plans so we talked about going to south america because we haven't we haven't actually been to south america the continent so um we talked about going there maybe teaching but uh we talked about going to the middle east we both love we like every time we go to the middle east we always love it so um we really like the culture and the weather's amazing there as well and um so I, I really don't know because kind of COVID's uh, 
I'm not, I'm not trying to plan too far in advance. People that don't know the Celta course, uh, I don't know if there is a version of it anywhere else around the world. I know in the UK you do the Celta course or you do a TEFL course. They're not cheap either. They're like in the thousands. Um, but it allows you to travel the world and teach English as a, as a second uh, as a foreign language, I should say, sorry. And um, I mean, I did the TEFL, uh, I think it was like level advanced or something. Uh, which allowed me to, and I did. I remember teaching in this country actually for during the weekends in a Chinese school, <laughs> um, and it was quite quite interesting actually. I had a mentor there who was telling me that these parents are. I'd, I'd never heard of the phrase "tiger mom" before. I was like, "Tiger, what? What is a tiger mom?" And it's like, you know, moms that like you know forcibly, well, not forcibly. I don't want to use that word, but will send their kids, and this is this is your curriculum. You you learn English. You go to piano lesson, then you do football or tennis or whatever, and that's your life every day for the rest of the week. I was like, wow, so, okay, so and these what they call tiger moms. Is that yeah, yeah? There's it goes around, but then a lot of parents are like that. I think these days, aren't they? Where they, you know, very structured with their kids and stuff. So it's not just Chinese people that think anyway. No, I think I think in the Southeast Asia, a, a career as well. They got that culture of pushing their children to do activities, and it's certainly going on in China. You know, when you got one point four billion people you're competing for jobs against, you've got to be a little bit pushy and a little bit motivated to get those jobs, really, and and to try and push yourself. So the, the parents definitely, the tiger mum is definitely a, a thing there in China. You've been travelling during the pandemic um, and you went to Turkey like I did as well. Um, so firstly, how did you find Turkey? Amazing place. So really, uh, We've been to Istanbul a couple of times and every time we go there, we always we really like Istanbul as a city. I think it's an amazing city. Uh, and uh, we went to Ishmir and Kushadasi and that area. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of history there. So we, we really liked it. In, in terms of COVID, um, in Kushadasi, there, there was a lot more tourists and they weren't, they weren't really wearing their masks as much. When we went to Ishmir, we found, you know, 90% of people, 95% of people were wearing their masks. But in the, in the tourist areas in Kushadasi, we found the mask levels dropped. Um, yeah, I, I think, I mean, I, I didn't go to Kushadasi, I did go to Ishmir and, um, I found, I mean, my journey was through the entire country, like all the way to the southeast, like places like Martin, San Mufa, and all those places respected the uh, the social distance rule, you know, the masks and stuff. And I think the police, there's quite a lot of police on the roads, actually, um, telling you to, if, if you didn't wear the mask, you, know, you had to wear the mask and stuff. But um, I, I, what I mean is, uh, did you, I, I found it, very safe. I mean, I didn't feel as though I was going to get COVID at any point. You know, I mean, I've, I've tested, by the way, since I've come back, and you know, it was negative. Um, so I kept, I was very responsible in what I did. So even like the coaches, I, I use coaches to travel through everywhere. I found that you, know, you were sat on your own if you're solo traveling. Um, I mean, the planes, the only thing with the planes was, you know, they, I understand as well, by the way, it's a commercial, they're there to make money. Uh, so the the middle seats weren't free, you know. They, they did have someone in there, uh, but you had to wear the mask. So um, and then the statistics I've read on uh, since I came back, when I when I came back, I read the statistics that was like out of thirty two million people that have boarded an airplane, um, only forty four people have, have had COVID or known to have COVID. So the numbers aren't. Uh, so there's a bit of a, a there's a slight myth, and there's there's a lot of. Um, 
the reason why I asked you about the traveling during COVID was there's been a lot of um, travel shaming and um, it's starting to uh, annoy me a little bit because I had a lot of travel shaming thrown at my saying you know, at my end saying why did you travel during the pandemic you know how silly can you be but I look at it as a if, if other industries are opening up their businesses you know slowly you know you look at the travel industry you obviously travel yourself during this pandemic you know they've made measures you know cleaning measures um you've got the likes of the air host air hostess so you know they're making sure that no one's going to be getting, so they're being extra careful sure they don't want to get the covid either and they don't want to be known for an airline you know so there's a bit of um reputation in and all the airports toilets everything is so super clean so why would you neglect an industry where it not does it doesn't just mean oh you're going on holiday and enjoying yourself it goes with like turkey you know there's people there if you don't go to an area like i went to no tourist they don't get fed you know that this it affects the business and not just that there's countries all around the world i've got friends in certain places around the world struggling you know they asking for money and, you know, embarrassingly asking, you know, they're going, really, I feel really embarrassed to ask you, but I'm really struggling. <laughs> so it's not just, oh, yeah, you know, you're going traveling. How, how selfish can you be? It's more like, oh, actually, if you don't think of it as, as, as a, you think of it as a journey. My, my, my aim was, by the way, to document this and sort of um, show people that you can travel safely. Uh, but other people, you know, who, who aren't doing that, you can absolutely travel safely. There's no, um, there's no harm in doing so. You know, as long as you abide by the rules of those countries, I, I haven't got a problem with traveling. Um, it, it's when people maybe try and circumnavigate uh, the rules by using loopholes or, um, you know, I, I quit a, a Facebook page because the people on it were, were trying to gleefully kind of um, come up with loopholes to get around the travel, the various travel bans. And that's something which I didn't agree with. That was not something which I was comfortable doing with. But I'm quite happy to play by the rules. I may think that some of the rules are idiotic or stupid, but, you know, um, that's the rules that's been set, and I'm quite happy to abide by them. And as you said, the you know, the tourism industry, a lot of these places, I'm thinking about Thailand, uh, the amount of bus drivers, rickshaw drivers, hostel owners, cleaners, bar staff, uh, cafe owners, um, you know, all, all of these people are reliant on a big tourism industry and there isn't going to be the kind of, there's no furlough scheme for them, I, I don't think. So, you know, all, all the, um, been reading about Zanzibar, the, the, some of the tourism there has been decimated because there's no, there's no tourists. Um, and there isn't that safety catch, which we've got in. The, we're lucky in the Western world to have that kind of, you know. We're very lucky here, you know. Uh, people can not go to work and still get paid because the government sort of, you know, yeah. helping them out. But other countries, it isn't, isn't that case, you see. So, you know, what would you do then? You need, you need to be feeding your family. Food on the table needs to be put on there. So what do you do? You know, there's no job. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's just, it's, and you know, there are a lot of them would be on hand to mouth. They wouldn't be that they wouldn't have that savings necessarily or the ability to draw on savings from anywhere. So a lot of it's like day to day basis. And I, I, 
a lot of the tourism industry has just been absolutely decimated. And I think about those people when I, when I travel. So when we went to Ishmael and to Indukushadasi, uh, and when we went to Bulgaria, we try and use like the independent places rather than the, rather than the chain places, try and, try and drink the local beer or the local coffee or the chai in Turkey. Um, and try and use like independent coffee, coffee shops and, and, and things like that to try and spread the, what money we do use about. Yeah, actually, I, I did the same thing, actually. So, like, hotel. I mean, I, I, I don't tend to go to big hotels anyway. Um, like, the hotels, you know, I made sure I used local hotels, independent ones um, that aren't well-known. And, you know, it helps them out. And they they need it as well, you know. It, I mean, it was very cheap as well, again, just to, I mean, I, I could barely spend any money. That's how cheap it was. Um so I mean I, I I poured some you know and also the other thing I was going to make a point on was that Turkey as a developed is still classed as a developing country you know they're not I mean forty percent I read was reliant on on tourism you know income to come in uh, they saw it as a country well you know what okay COVID's around we accept it we just have to live with it now and do as much precautionary measures as possible. Uh, but we can't afford to, uh, as a nation, have another six months of, you know, everything being closed. Other countries may be able to. Although, uh, I mean, the UK, I don't know whether another six months of lockdown is going to do us any good, you know. This is what uh, what annoys me sometimes about, because the, uh, the smaller nations, developing countries, third world countries, they, they've gone, they go 10 steps forward. Something like this happens, they, they go 30 steps backwards. And it takes another 10 years or whatever to go that 10 steps forward again. And guess what? Something else happens and they just never seem to get forward. What else would you like to do in the near future when it comes to, I guess, traveling? And you said South America is on your list. Any other places that, that you haven't seen that you would want to go see? Uh, well, yesterday we um, booked a ticket for Bali, actually. So um, I, I really want to go see Komodo Dragons. So I know you can get a boat from... That uh, is from high on my list, by the way, to go to... To go, to go see the Komodo dragon. Um, yeah. When are you going, by the way? Well, we've booked it for January, but knowing full well that we're going to have to change those dates, I think I don't think there's any chance. Um, is Indonesia open, by the way? Because I looked at Indonesia, I couldn't see them open. I don't think it is. I, I, I've got friends in Bali, and we know that you can't. It's not. It's closed. The borders are closed. Once you leave, you leave, basically. Um, so they wanted to come back in June time, uh, but. Um, Qatar Airways were basically run a competition back in September for teachers, uh, including ESL teachers. So uh, I got up at two o'clock in the morning and inputted some codes, and we won won a ticket. Um, and then we got a fifty percent off voucher as well for another ticket. So uh, that's what we we kind of decided. We couldn't decide where where to go. We had to go somewhere on that on the Qatar Airways network. So we was looking at going maybe to Bali or Ethiopia or Seychelles or Oman. Um, so I think we decided to go to Bali because I wanted—I really wanted to go and see Komodo dragons, really. So. And when you're not traveling, by the way, do, do, you, do you have any other hobbies? Uh, so we do photography. We like doing taking photos. We're actually Shutter Shock uh, contributors, so we sell photos online. Um, most of them are our travel photos, but we have done some photos around here, some stock photography photos, and uh, we like playing board games and walking. So that's what we mainly do. Photography was something that you did when you were traveling anyway, and it became part of the part of your hobby. 
Yeah, I think so. So we started getting more and more into the photography side of things as we traveled. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just something we've developed. You know, we started selling them on, we, we kind of sold a few on Alami, Alami or, um, as well, but not as many. Shutterstock is mostly where we sell them. Uh, we were selling, uh, we've probably taken about $500 out of uh, our account. So uh, from, it helped pay towards going to Cuba at one time. So. I know these days the, the smartphones, when I first started traveling, smartphones wasn't around, so you couldn't really take any pictures. So you had to have, a, I guess, a camera. Um, but now the cameras have gone a lot better on the phones. But people think, oh, the, the smartphone cameras are a lot better than the they're not if you, if you know what you're doing they just they'll advertise i mean i saw something the other day on uh on uh, youtube going the the new i you know the, the, i don't mention brands actually but the new phone that has got like mm-hmm. eight megapixels uh or 8k whatever and it's like it's still not as good as a camera i trust me it's not as good as a camera <laughs> you just can't get the sort of um the clear picture that you do with no. like, when I first travelled in 2005, went backpacking around the world, I took a film camera. I didn't even have a digital camera with me. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, you know, digital cameras, I took a lot more pictures when I had, a, I, brought, I bought one in, in New Zealand, a digital, first digital camera. And once I did that, I started taking a lot more pictures because with the film one, I was like, oh, do I really want to have a picture of this forever or not? Um, but one thing that was nice with the film camera is that I left my camera on a table in a communal table in um, in a hostel staying on an island and they had a, a lot of um they had some fijian workers staying there in, in it was in fiji and uh when i came back the next morning it wasn't the camera wasn't there and then it turned up like an hour uh, like a day later and um so when i got home i developed the pictures and they've taken well, the fijian workers have all taken lots of selfies of themselves and various photos of themselves so i've got some great photos just <laughs> From them having the hour and the camera with them, but actually, that's, that was, that's quite a nice moment actually having pictures of people. Uh, they didn't realize they would be printed off, so <laughs> yeah. In terms of when you edit your photos, I mean, because I, I had a conversation with someone in Ishmael actually about, and he was a um, very keen photographer, you know, his wife was they spent thousands of dollars or whatever on, on kits and stuff, but they were very, they had a conversation about me about let's say the sky. Uh, so when you edit a sky, as I do, I, I don't. I do minimal edits. Um, might sort of highlight, sort of like get the colours up and or the brightness up. But in terms of changing the sky, you know, going from grey to like sunshine and stuff, how how much do you touch your your photos? I don't at all. Uh, I don't really use. I don't use Lightroom or Adobe. It's the two big ones. I think for yep. post production. So I know some people have a stock set of backgrounds like skies with certain clouds or moody ones or um rain you can add rain and things like that to that but um i don't really like those over over stylized kind of photos personally um but i, 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 see, I think it takes something away from the original photo, photo you know photograph that you've taken so you do too much and then it just looks like a you know fabricated what it does really you well, fabricated the entire docu doctored the entire picture and it's like well it's not really real is it you, you've not taken no. it at the moment where it should be and a lot of photographers all school photographers will timing was uh, they talk about timing in school we spoke about you've got to get the right moments and stuff sometimes it can take days weeks whatever and 
you know, sunsets and sunrises and stuff, you have to be on there in that moment. So let's just say you put like a sunset or a sunrise and it wasn't a sunset or a sunrise. Well, and you can do that. I know you can do that. Uh, it, it just takes something away from it. You see, and you hit the lights there and it hits it. I think it's not, I mean, you can win. Um, there's one photographer, I won't name him. Um, it's got a course. I was, um, I, I, I always, because uh, I love photography, so I always try and do as many of these so get a bit of an understanding of each photographer's mindset. And, you know, his mindset was if you change it, you've got a possibility of winning competitions. And if that is one, th if that is what you want to do, uh, fair enough, you know, you can't stop someone. But I think it takes something away from the actual in a, in a photo is itself there's a lot of photos the same kind of type time and time again they kind of got that washed out uh whitish background they've kind of with you know the back the person with the back to them with sometimes they got the hand holding out the back or that's not really what i want to kind of do you know so um but I'm not an expert taking photos, and if you want to do that, that's fine. It's like everyone's very, it's very popular to do that kind of style. But for me, it's not really, that's not what I kind of want to do. I think they have a saying with photography that you you take photo once, um, you don't take it right first time. Like, yeah, you can try to if you've got to do lots of post production to it, it means you you've not you've not done. Your yeah, job. That's what I was taught in school. So when you take it, I remember my school teacher saying, when you take it, you make sure you get the right shot, you know, angle and whatever and stuff. And if you're having to rely, as you're just saying there, post-production, it's not, it's not ideal, is it? So I think it's, it's become a lot easier now to, to become, I guess, for everyone has become photographers, I guess. But I guess I look at myself as an old school, you know, learn the craft growing up and um but i think it does obviously i understand um technology has moved it along you know i'm not saying that it's, it's a bad thing but I, I don't know whether the art of taking you know photos is sort of lost in in some respects a bit like uh, social media has sort of the art of traveling has sort of you know become lots of selfies and going to places and not really wanting to learn about anything but not everyone does that but um yeah, it's just those things that we have to get used to it don't we so thank you for coming on no problem the time uh, i know you're quarantining at the minute because you've just come back from bulgaria as well uh by the way how was bulgaria by the way before i let you go yeah it's fun there's absolutely we've been there quite a few times because um ellie misses plane ticket away she comes from bulgaria so um, she, she's got family out there, so we went and saw some of her family. Went for her grandmother's 80th birthday, in fact. Um, so we've been a few times. We mainly stick to Varna and uh, Borgas. Um, but yeah, it, it's lovely weather out there still. They've still got brilliant sunshine. Thank you very much, and uh, no hope to see you. Hope to see you face to face one day. So yeah, uh, maybe we'll go for a pint or uh, have a coffee or something. Thank you very much. I uh, appreciate it. You can follow my guests on all of their social media platforms. The details are in the description. That's it for Take a Wonder with Shebs. Don't forget to follow me on all of my social media platforms. Until next time, bye for now.